Are you going to Gen Con? Guess what? Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I will be there. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. We're going to be joined by fan-favorite panelists Liz Tice, Dan Dillon, and Sean Merwin. It's totally free, so get your tickets now. After the panel... Join us at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Indianapolis near the convention center at 7 p.m. for drinks, food, and games. Then I've got a movie I wrote, directed, and produced with my partner Jay Lechko that's premiering at Gen Con. Nightbirds, a six-minute-long short film that's a superhero comedy, is part of the superhero block of short films at 7 p.m. on Saturday, August 6th at Gen Con. That's totally free, so check it out and support my movie Nightbirds with a K. Also on Saturday, I'm moderating a panel called The Digital Future of D&D 5th Edition. The panelists include people from DriveThruRPG, people from Sirenscape, people from Mesa Mundi, people from Smiteworks, and people from Lone Wolf Development. That's going to be at 2 p.m. the Saturday of Gen Con in the Crown Plaza Grand Central Ballroom C. All right, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a five-star rating on iTunes if you love the show. It helps us so much. It gives other people the ability to find us more easily. So please, head to iTunes, give us a five-star review. I read one new five-star rating verbatim every episode. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's review comes from the one and only Druten H. His review is entitled Informative, Entertaining, and Fun. Druten H, I hope this is Druten, friend of the show who has been on here before. You are the man. Druten says... All the shows on the Tome Show feed are the perfect mix of informative, entertaining, and fun. Everything a podcast about playing games should be. James does a fantastic job getting guests from both inside and outside the tabletop gaming industry to discuss the latest D&D news. Also, this podcast finally helped draw some of my friends and me into playing D&D for the very first time. Keep up the great work. Quick sidetrack, Druten and the people he plays D&D with and I all went to high school together. They are a great group of dudes. You should check out their podcast. It's called One Quest. It is really good. If you like nerd culture, they are thick in it. And uh, and they give you some great tidbits. So definitely check them out. They are a great time. And Druten, thank you for this review. Hey, everybody out there, we need more five-star reviews. So please keep them coming in. Head over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a minute of your time. Please use the affiliate links on TomeShow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to the TomeShow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, NobleKnight.com. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store that specializes in providing out-of-print products. Go check them out. They also exist online at noblenight.com. 
Com. Our noble knight pick of the episode for this episode is Steading of the Hill Giant Chief Silver Anniversary Edition. It is a sweet, sweet AD&D. That's right, I'm talking AD&D First Edition adventure that introduces you to some awesome giants. It is one of the first adventures that made giants awesome, and it's the first adventure in this great trilogy of giant adventures. It is out of print. The Silver Anniversary Edition is a steal at $35 from NobleKnight.com. Let's hear a quick word from them. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. Trying to sound creepy there. All right, everybody. Today we are talking to four of the six Adventurers League admins about the upcoming storyline for season five, Storm King's Thunder. And then we've got an interview with Wolfgang Bauer of Cobalt Press about the Tome of Beasts and Book of Lairs. Let's meet the admins and kick things off with our get to know you question. Who is the greatest giant ever? And it can be from D&D or any other fantasy novel, movie, radio play, whatever you guys want to talk about. There are no wrong answers. Why don't we kick things off with the one and only Robert Aducci. Robert, welcome to the roundtable. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I think I misread that first question of who is the greatest, <laughs> and I just thought it was like what kind of giant. Um, so I'm just going to go with uh, the kind of giants. And, you know, I never really use giants in like my regular D&D games. I just never have done it. But, of course, uh, I'm a huge Dark Sun geek, so in Dark Sun, Ooh. there are different kinds of giants um, than the kind of standard. And I really liked uh, the beast-headed giants, so they're basically giants that you know have different kinds of animal heads. Um, and I just always thought that was really cool for whatever reason. Um, so I like the beast-headed giants. So also with us is the one and only Travis Woodall. Travis, who That's is me. the greatest giant? So I didn't even think about Dark Sun. Um, I really like the silt giants out of Dark oh, yeah. Sun, how they wade through the silt sea, and I thought that was kind of cool. But I, I went uh, uh, with the iron giant because he eats cars and <laughs> um, hangs out with kids in junkyards. And uh, Other than that, the other Ooh. one that I liked was the giant in Time Bandits that wore the boat on his head because <laughs> I just thought that nice. that would be – you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go to work, walk underneath <laughs> the water with a boat on your head. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's true. That's a good one. <laughs> well, Travis Woodall, welcome back to the roundtable. And of course, Greg Marks is also back. Greg, welcome to the roundtable. Who is your favorite giant? Well, I assumed by now someone would have said King Snur, the fire giant who's like the giant that they use for everything. <laughs> so I went out of my way to try and think of something else. Uh <laughs> I'm going to go with the giant on the cover of the old D&D expert mod, Castle Amber. Nice. And the reason Uh I'm going to choose that one is because he's not a giant. Uh It's the first time I can think of when the mod, the picture, the advertising, lies to you on purpose so as to confuse the player. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's totally a misdirect. 
So the players think it's a giant. Spoilers. spoilers. It's not. Yeah. And, and so that was that's why I choose that one because it's here's this mod that's really got all this story and it's really involved. And they even thought so far in advance to say, hey, players, guess what? Look, there's a giant. <laughs> yeah, you're okay. It's not really a giant. That's awesome. I had no idea. I've never played or read that module, so I had no idea that that's a misdirect. That's great. Uh, love the cleverness there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Only thirty years late, so hopefully, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I was yeah. going to play this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, new to the roundtable, but certainly not new to the admin team, is the elusive Claire Hoffman. Claire, welcome to the roundtable. Before we get to your answer for the get to know you question, tell the people out there a little bit about who you are in the world of tabletop role playing games. Ah. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, who I am in Tabletop Darabling Games is um, there was this little campaign called Living Death uh, that ran from uh, 1996 uh, 19, <laughs> yeah, to 2007. And I got to be the head guru of that campaign wow. and ran it for 10 years. That's awesome. And you thought, you know what? I need to keep doing this. I need to... Punish myself I some more. Break and then went and worked as the writing director for LFR, and later advanced into being a global. and And they still let me hang out. So, <laughs> well, I'm excited you're here with us today uh, to talk about the Storm King's Thunder. Who is the greatest giant ever, Claire Hoffman? I've never actually done any D and D with giants, um, and this question sort of made me go, "Huh." <laughs> and um, my favorite giants are really trolls and ogres, especially those um, from David Eden's Elenium, or as I call it, the Sparhawk Chronicles, um, only because they are just as they are just so strong and so tall and so overwhelming. Um, they kind of make the giants of D&D almost seem an afterthought. You know, and it's funny, you said this, and Robert said this, and there have been a couple other people on the podcast who have talked about Storm King's Thunder who have said this, that they don't really play with giants that often in D&D, and so they're excited to have this adventure in their hands because they, they really want to see, like, okay, so how does the D&D team handle giants and and what's an adventure with them as the focus going to look like and so i'm excited to talk to you guys today about it and get the perspective of people who maybe haven't used giants a lot who will suddenly be you know immersed in giants uh so yeah yeah let's let's kick it off let's talk about the story of season five um how much can you tell us about what's happening and where does it all take place um, well, we can tell you, I mean, they had the, the launch event back in June and, uh, Perkins and company went over kind of the gist of how everything was going to go. But so there's the ordning and the ordning is this caste system to which, you know, all the different giants and giant types are, are bound to. It's kind of a social structure among the giants and each type of giant has a place among it. And each giant has a place among its own type and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're rank in um, you know in the ordning is determined by how they exemplify their their kind so you've got storm giants who are seers and cloud giants that amass like large quantities of wealth fire giants forge uh, weapons and armor uh, frost giants fight stone giants uh, shape stone hill giants 
you know, the big, the big ones are the ones who, who run stuff. So the better that they do that, the higher their rank is uh, mm-hmm. among their own kind. So rewind back 1489 DR, <laughs> uh, Tyranny of Dragons, um, the Cult of the Dragon is running around trying to bring Tiamat to Faerun, recruiting all these dragons to help them do it. Um, and the giants aren't really doing a whole lot to help them. Now, giants and dragons, they're, they have this long-standing uh, enmity with one another. They're, you know, they are each other's greatest foes. And the giants not doing anything to stop this kind of ticks off uh, Anum, the all-father, like the, the, the father of all the giants. So he's kind of mad that these giants, these dragons are running around Faerun, and the dragons aren't doing a whole lot about it. So he takes the Ordin and he shatters it. So now it's literally free-for-all as far as social standing is concerned. So imagine you're in a pharmacy. And you, <laughs> you, you walk in the pharmacy and you pull the little, you know, take a number, and you know where you're going to be at in, in line. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing that, imagine if they had everybody in the room, and instead of a little machine, they just dumped them out of a chute in the ceiling, and everybody had to just <laughs> free-for-all, right, and let everybody duke it out. So uh, the, 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 the bystanders in this, the little people of Faerun, are – kind of caught mm-hmm. in this i mean it's it is a battle of epic of giant proportion and they're kind of just stuck in the middle and right yeah. yeah so as everybody's stomping around to grab numbers all the little people under their feet are going to get crushed uh, exactly yeah yeah i think that's awesome uh and i think it's really cool because i you know i knew a little bit about giant lore from reading monster manuals and stuff but i never paid too much attention to the ordning um and this is uh, like it was so cool how rigid it seemed like you know each giant type obviously belongs to but then within each giant type each individual giant mm-hmm. is ranked uh, yeah and each tribe once the giants are all ranked it's yeah it's awesome. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it really, really is. Um, so it's really cool to to see how this is, uh, you know, forming up and how this is going to take place. So we know a little bit about what's coming up in the hardcover adventure. You know, we heard uh, at Meltdown, uh, Merle's and Chris Perkins talk about that. What do we know? How is the D&D Adventurers League storyline connected to the hardcover? So... We're, you know, as always, we're kind of to the side and back a little bit, sometimes in forward, doing our own kind of thing. Um, it's largely going to be kind of dealing with the side effects of the side effects of, you know, all these giants going crazy. Um, so that's not to say that our little, cor- the, you know, the, the corners of Faerun that, we've, that we're going to be headed to are, are safe. And then, yes, mm-hmm. I did say corners, plural. Uh, <laughs> Having satisfied my personal quest to leave as much of the moon sea in ruins as I could, uh, <laughs> we have all packed our bags and we're headed west to the Sword Coast. Um, nice. But we kind of wanted to spread out once we got there. Um, so we're going to be split into three kind of locations um, that are largely going to be uh, based on the tiers. The lower tier adventures will uh, be in, in Parnast. Um, oh, for nice. those of you familiar with Horde of the Dragon Queen, uh, Tier 2 um, is going to be heading north, um, just south of Spine of the World, um, in a place called Hartsvale, a mm-hmm. uh, little village called Stagwick, which is which is awesome because it's steeped in, in, in giant history. Like Giants are a fundamental 
just a cornerstone of the history there. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and then uh, for the uh, higher level folks, we're going to be heading south and south again to Barragost, which is kind of southeast of uh, Candlekeep. And for those of you who are old like me, you might recognize the name from uh, the Baldur's Gate series of oh, games. Sure, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to to see where we where we go with those. And all these places have their own, you know, history and you know adventuring locations that we're gonna be using and because you're leaving the Moon Sea region, you've now spread out as far as you can on the Sword Coast because you want to kind of destroy <laughs> that and leave that in ruins as quickly yeah. as possible mm-hmm. as well. Yep. <laughs> uh, which huh. is really cool. It's great that you're, you know, you're sort of going all the way up to the spine of the world and Candlekeep and Parnast. Like you're, the adventure feels, um, or, or the storyline feels very, very spread out. And like someone has done a ton of research, uh, which I assume is all of you. Uh, so as always, thank you for the tireless efforts, uh, that you guys put forth. Uh, you're certainly worth every penny that you're, uh, meagerly being paid. So thank you so much for all of the work that you are doing. Um, Will people be able to use the rune magic rules from the Storm King's Thunder hardcover in Adventurer's League play? I can't go into a whole lot about it. Sure, um, sure. I, I can say that uh, uh, there are rules for runes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we will leave it at that. And yes. <laughs> you, you, should, you should say yes. And, and yeah, yes. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so when can people expect to start seeing adventures being played at cons and in stores and available for purchase on the DMs Guild from season five? Well, actually, the first of them should be up relatively soon because the intro adventures already premiered at conventions and will be at Gen Con. Nice. So is that like the... That's f- not going to be come out coming out until uh september, september 6th right the first one will come out yeah. but if you're going uh, to gen con skill. right you've mm-hmm. got the opportunity to play it for right sure. yeah or you gen could have played it at origins yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah nice and that is the uh the traditional sean merwin uh adventure right that's usually broken up into five parts it is a merwinian adventure yes nice. yeah nice. Yeah, yeah, those are great. Love Sean Merwin's writing. He can really write those very impactful, um, smaller, shorter scenarios. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're certainly not smaller, but they're shorter, uh, which is awesome. People can now buy Fantasy Grounds products. Just switching uh, switching gears here a little bit from Storm King's Thunder, but still talking about the Adventures League. People can buy Fantasy Grounds products uh, for the Adventures League through the DMs Guild. And Robert, some of your adventures were the very first um, that, that piloted this sort of purchasing technique. How does this work? So basically, it's kind of up to the designers um, who designed the adventures if they want to put their uh, their adventure um, up as a Fantasy Grounds mod. And there's a few ways they can do that. They can either just do it themselves, you know, kind of type it in manually or copy and paste. Um, there's also a a um a program that goes with fantasy grounds um it's a parsing program that will parse pdfs and put them into the format they needs and you know there's just still a little bit of massaging they have to do but um that'll get into the format or they could have somebody that's kind of more skilled 
at it um, do it, which is what I did. I had um, uh, Chris Jernigan, who is one of our um, local coordinators, and um, he's you know he a uh, pretty prolific Fantasy Ground streamer. Um, so I had him convert mine, and then since mine were already done, they were able to go up immediately when um, when the DMs Guild and Drive Through announced that they were going to be hosting uh, Fantasy Grounds stuff. So there's not uh, it's not just the Adventures League stuff, but you can also get all of the other um, all the other D and D stuff as uh, Fantasy Grounds through Drive Through. And just to be uh, completely transparent, I'm also uh, I, I do some work for Fantasy Grounds as a uh, as their uh, social media person. So oh sure sure yeah and they're wise to hire you to do that uh so you know that makes a lot of sense um and i think that's great uh you know i think virtual tables are definitely bringing more and more people into the game they're changing the way the game is played for a lot of people um you know it just makes everything easier uh so in in thinking about virtual tables uh we have this adventures league series from roll 20 adam Kobol is running uh bunch of people through uh the season one adventures league content uh, how did this series come about and then we should also mention we're recording this on the day that roll 20 announced they have an official licensing deal with wizards of the coast to put out uh-huh. uh, D products so they're going to be putting out lost minds of Fandelver and storm king's thunder and and things like that which again is amazing and i'm so glad that that's happening so how did this series with adam come about so i was watching the um uh you know the the what do they call it the, the meltdown event um for storm king's thunder and uh you know they were talking about how matt mercer was going to be running uh his force gray campaign um and that just sort of got my mind thinking and i emailed our uh friends at wizards and you know i said hey can matt run maybe some of our adventures um Mm -hmm. and uh and wizards said that they kind of already had you know plotted out what you know what was going to happen on the force gray so um they said that you know they couldn't do it so i was like okay well what else can i do so i've always been a huge fan of uh, adam coble and dungeon world and apocalypse world and that kind of stuff so i was like well you know let me just send an email to, to adam and see and see what he says and so i shot an email to him and he's like this is amazing he's like i was just thinking about running a dnd 5e campaign um and so we started talking and you know within two weeks it was decided you know what he was going to do and when it was going to run and you know it, it all happened pretty quickly um oh, wow. so that was all pretty cool um to speak about the um the roll 20 stuff um getting dnd you know you know, Wizards has always said that they're just kind of looking for good partners, and Fantasy Grounds happen to be their first partner to kind of uh, be in the virtual tabletop space. Um, but it's great that Roll20 um, can now have the D&D stuff. And, you know, the people from Roll20 have asked me how they can get the D&D Adventures League stuff. And it's really, you know, between uh, the DMs Guild, um, because they have, they have uh, exclusive rights to, um, to all the D&D uh, Adventures League stuff. So it's between the DMs Guild and Roll20 to kind of make that happen. So hopefully, you know, that will happen and we can we can go over there just like we're um, over there with Fantasy Grounds as well. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, you know, I, both virtual tables are awesome and, and do really, really great things. And the people who founded or who, who own, because I, I guess Doug doesn't, uh, he didn't found Fantasy Grounds, but he certainly made it his own. Uh, and right. uh, they're all really awesome people, too. Um, so it's great to see uh, everybody getting a slice of that pie and, and making gaming great for all of us gamers out here who use virtual tables, which I think is awesome. So, 
yeah, okay. look forward to that as the Roll20 stuff develops. And it already looks like they're having a great time on that series. Um, so, like you said, Adam's a great DM, and he picked great people to play with. Uh, so I, I'm having a great time watching it. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Season 4. Season 4 is kind of wrapping up for everybody. Uh, how is Season 4 wrapping up? How do you guys feel that Season 4 went? Uh, I think overall we're pretty happy with it. Uh, we tried something different. Uh, having a much tighter, faster produced, more linear story. Uh, it's not completely perfectly linear, but pretty linear. And uh, I think that it gives you a lot of role-playing opportunities. And it gives you a lot of, uh, you get to see the story really change and develop as you move along. It's, uh, well, all of the adventures are out now, so I guess we're, we're pretty happy. We got it all out. It's all done. <laughs> Nice, nice. So, and like you said, you tried something a little different uh, with season four, tried to sort of make this linear story where every adventure was connected to the last as players were going through it. Uh, Do you think that you'll try something like that again in the future? Or do you think you might try some other completely different method of storytelling and having the adventures, uh, you know, linked together in some way or not linked together or just, you know, uh, pitching some crazy ideas like that? Well, I think it's likely we're going to keep trying to innovate and keep trying to do different things. Uh, You'll see in season five, that we've gone a little bit backwards towards the season three model where there's sort of three different storylines going on that are interrelated on a global scale, but are at least a little bit separate. So there's sort of a tier one, a tier two and a tier three story going on and they're in a somewhat separate place. Uh, Another thing that you'll see that we did is there's a bunch more uh, two-parters. So something that we're going to play around a little bit, particularly with high-level play. Uh, We noticed that when you do a two-round adventure, uh, it's good for immersion, right? You you get to keep playing, you play the whole thing through, and it makes you happy. But it's a pain for organizers to schedule. Mm -hmm. And it's also problematic for – we're still looking at numbers for how authors get paid. And it seems like those authors aren't – basically getting to the point where we would have paid them normally, or at least it's taken them a lot longer to get there. So if we make them into two four-hour adventures, that should help solve some of those problems. But if you, you'll see we uh, released on our website uh, some suggestions on how you can play it as sort of one experience or play it as two separate experiences. Uh, the ability to bank your XP so that you don't level out and some things like that. Let me ask you this. Every time we're on the show, we sort of talk about how far ahead you all are working. Um, So obviously you're, you're finishing up season four, you're steeped in season five right now, but you're also sort of ideating and thinking about future storylines about how far ahead are you thinking at the moment? We're, uh-huh. Actually, still right in the middle of five. Um, all our yeah. authors are um, set up. They're uh, in the process of, of starting to make deadlines or not. Um, <laughs> as far as that, we haven't started really thinking about six. Gotcha. We, yeah. um, We've gazed at the, the plot generically. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, sort of. And we did talk about. Uh, I don't know if you were there for that or not, Claire. We had a discussion about 
something we might do for season six uh, with the series. But yeah, where that is just really still flexible. It's it's like Jello that's not been even close to being set. Hot water's just been starting to be poured on it. I don't even think we know what flavor we're going with yet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but you you obviously all have some sort of like foreknowledge, and I'm not trying to get out of you what it is. I'm just wondering how much do you like? How far ahead do you know? How how uh, how far behind the curtain do you guys get to peek? Because yeah, we, we've got a yeah, few ideas of very of some... good about giving us information, letting us mm-hmm. know what direction we're going. Doesn't mean it doesn't change. <laughs> uh, take a little side trip to Albuquerque, but um, they've been very good to work with. And it's great. Uh, and, you know, I think obviously you all have proven that you're able to keep those secrets and everything, which is uh, which is really, really great. Uh, so, Greg, last time you were on here, we talked about uh, you guys would like more females to write for the Adventurers League. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of folks out there, both male and female, who are interested in writing. If folks want to design for the Adventurers League, what should they do? Uh, I have two suggestions for you. Uh, the first of them is, uh, well, three now that I think about it. The first of them is make yourself known. So however you do it, make yourself known. So one of the best ways and a way several of the authors that we're going to work with in season five uh, was through the DMs Guild. So people that wrote adventures that we had a chance to check out, uh, somebody pointed them to us or they sent us a complimentary copy. So we were able to read, read it over. Be your own advertising. Let us know that you're out there. Uh, another possibility is now through the con provided, the con created content program. Uh, a nice. number of both Ballman Games, Cold Iron Conventions, uh, the Dragon Con folks, uh, Emerald City, a bunch of different people are doing it. Right? There's a all working on these adventures that are still going through a a similar process to the way our adventures are made. And they still have to go sort of get through us. They don't go through an editing pass through us, but they still get looked at by us. And they also get looked at by some folks at WOTC. If you, for example, can't write for us for season five, I've had a a lot of people contact me about, hey, I want to write something about giants. Well, uh, you should have talked to me eight months ago. (laughs) Uh, But that doesn't mean we can't consider you. But in the meantime... You know, there's a lot of conventions that are trying to get on the CCC bandwagon. And so writing an adventure for them will give you a really good experience because you'll learn sort of a similar process. And obviously, you know, we're going to read it. Mm -hmm. So that's another way that you can get yourself out there. DMs Guild, CCCs, or just make yourself known through the community. I mean, make sure we know your name. If I don't know who you are, there's no chance I'm going to assign you an event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would also add. I would also add if you you know have a blog, or have a podcast like the uh, like Mr. James Intercasso, <laughs> you you might have a chance of uh, writing uh, stuff for us. That's true. That's true. So uh, yeah, I uh, I guess full disclosure, right? I am uh, writing one of the adventures uh, this season, and it was a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to work on with you guys, and it is a blast to continue to work on. Um, so uh, yeah, just make 120 episodes of a podcast, and uh, <laughs> make sure you frequently bring the admins on, uh, and then also it have a blog. It didn't that you're good at meeting your deadlines. <laughs> yeah, you're quite early, which is nice. Yeah. Just like 
super early. It's very refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, you know, they say, right? What is that? You should be on time and a pleasure to work with or a pleasure to work with and good. or So the, it's one of those things. I was like, well, I can definitely do the on time thing. So let me make sure I, <laughs> I at least have that uh, under my belt. So, um, yeah, yeah. And it was awesome. So it was really, really great. You guys are amazing to work with. Um, I thought I knew the amount of uh, work that you all were putting putting in uh i had no idea i had no idea the extent of stuff that you were doing um like it it really blew my mind i knew you were all working hard but uh this is like a full-time job that you guys have taken on uh in addition uh-huh. to all having other full-time jobs that you're working on uh so again thank you so much for for everything that you are doing uh and is there anything else exciting uh that you all want to talk about I finally get to write an adventure <laughs> That is finally. that is different Yeah that is new well, I mean, no. Travis, you kind of you, you're like your fingerprints are on all the adventures, right? So that's one reason you're probably so overloaded that this is the first time you really got to get in and write an adventure. Yeah, like the, the we've kind of re taken another look at how we want to do the editing process, and we think we found a way that's gonna get some stuff done and save me some time in the in the meantime. And I'm gonna use that time to work on adventures like I have been the whole time. So I don't know what the train of logic is there for me. But. <laughs> We're going to see our first tier four content. So mm-hmm. those folks who have high level characters, you want to bust out your 17th through 20th level character. Uh, you're going to have a chance. Tier three and tier four content show up in the second half of season five. One thing I know we've mentioned once or twice, not during this podcast, but previously season five, is not necessarily the same duration as some of the others. You'll note it seems a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, released the first half of the season. We told everyone what those were. And if you actually count them up, there's more adventures there than there normally are. Uh, so there's there's a little bit more content. It's a little bit of a longer season. Uh, and we've mentioned in the past that we're going to experiment with how long seasons are. I mean, that, that was coming. Sure, sure. Yeah, and thanks for a longer season. Uh, I think that's going to be really fun. And obviously, Tier 4 is super-duper exciting for people, uh, especially if you've had you know, a, a high-level character for a while waiting in the wings. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, taking on some giants. And honestly, right, the, the hardcover uh, only goes so far. Uh, so really, you, you have adventures that will be more epic than the hardcover coming out. Mm-hmm. In the- <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Oh, dear. Speaking of epics, uh, we're going to do something um, different than we've done any season so far. We're going to actually have two epics. Um, We are going to have uh, the kind of big, you know, 1 to 17 epic, um, you know, split up into three tiers. Uh, That'll be coming out at Winter Fantasy, I believe. Um, But we're also going to have a smaller epic, which is going to be written by Bill Benham, and that's going to be a 1 to 10, I believe, so that's going to be the one that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe smaller cons will get access to, um, whereas we'll leave the 1 to 17 for the larger cons. Um, a 1 to 17 yeah. epic. That is awesome. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the smaller con is going to premiere at, um, it's going to first 
uh, be able to be played at Carnage Con um, and also same weekend at Game Hall Con. Wow. Um, and if you find yourself in Vermont, you might be able to play it with me. Ooh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> uh, in addition, um, the adventure that I'm writing, uh, the, the name escapes me at the moment, but it's the finale for the season <laughs> one or for the tier one um, adventures. Uh, it's also going to have some advice on running it for multiple tables. Oh, cool. That's awesome. So it'll be sort of like a mini, a mini, mini epic. <laughs> yeah, kind of like 316 was done. Yeah, yeah, someplace. <laughs> Well, I yep. love that you guys are always trying new stuff. Like, nobody ever gets lazy or complacent, even with the amount of work that you all have to, to churn out. It seems like you're always... Except Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not here to defend himself, but... Right. Nope. Conveniently. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it's uh, it's awesome that, uh, that you guys have such a creative spirit uh, going into season five still doing this, which is super, super awesome. Yeah, there's so, going to be some more changes to Phi Chen's. We're still experimenting with some of them um, at Origins, and uh, we had some creatures and vehicles and yeah. various items for sale, um, which went over really well. Uh, <laughs> and, and not just at Origins, too, because I know uh, Robert did it at a con, I did it at mm-hmm. a con. We've taken them to a couple of other small cons as well, and it seems like that's very popular. It's also super labor intensive, so <laughs> yeah, we still need to talk about exactly how we would implement it. Yeah, it's yeah. labor intensive because everything was unique. So we put out, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 certs, and they're all Oh, unique. there were 60 at Origins. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so, yeah, there's, so there's over 100. 100 yeah. yeah, plus wow. another so 100 for Gen Con. So. <laughs> like, I'm pretty I, good at thinking of names. I think I'd run out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did see we, people tweeting out their uh, their certificates when they got creatures and stuff. It was like Pokemon mm-hmm. Go up in there, man. Yeah, yeah. Really wanted to catch them all. Yeah. Got to cert yeah. them all. <laughs> yeah, we also did a couple other things. We we toyed with some more expendables, some some charms. Ooh. We when things were traded to Fai Chen, when items were traded in during the marketplace, we didn't rip them up immediately like we used to. We let them last for the entirety of Fai Chen for that day. And so you could basically, Fai Chen became a middleman for a clearing house for trading for things. That seemed <laughs> nice. to work pretty well. It, it also lets us sense. see what people trade in, which maybe helps us choose a little better. Because it so really wind there fans. Oh, so many wind fans. I, just, I <laughs> thought the wind fan was awesome. Uh, I made a character just for there, that. There was. <laughs> That wind fan got traded in so many times, and then people played I, I just, a I different adventure where you need a wind fan, and <laughs> there's there no many people who cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing that's going to happen for Fai Chen's is uh, with the debut of Tier 4 content, uh, probably not till Winter Fantasy, well, maybe before then. Whenever the season five marketplace comes out, you'll start to see maybe some new stuff as well, some sort of higher level stuff. Maybe we haven't, uh, as as I think you guys have heard, we talked about this last time I was on the show. We have a a summit coming up in August. All the uh, admins are going to fly out to do our yearly flyout sort of thing, and have a couple of meetings out at Watsi. One other thing um, I'm working on right now is um, faction stuff. So, you know, at the beginning, one of the cool things about Adventures League that, um, you know, we'd kind of seen a little bit in previous organized play was was factions. Um, 
and I feel like we just had so much other stuff to do that it's sort of been kind of, you know, pushed to the side a little yeah. bit. You know, we've put out a little bit of faction activities for those people that were, you know, ranked three or higher, but we've not really done anything else um, in general with them. And so I think we're going to do a lot of that in, in the next season. Um, I've written up a bunch of faction stuff that we're working on to make really cool for um, for people that can become apprentices to, you know, to higher faction members, uh, higher rank faction members. Um, and both the apprentice and the mentor will have sort of like cool abilities that they can use during games where they're playing together, but also even if they're not playing together, they can still do cool things for each other. Um, and also some other more sort of generic faction stuff that anybody can do. Wow. That's great. That's going to be, uh, I hear a lot of people t- say that that's the kind of thing that they want out of the factions. Uh, so I think people are going to be really excited for that as well. Yeah, season four was not a good season for factions because they just, it just didn't make plot sense. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you're in Barovia, right, it's hard to reach the head of the Harpers, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, well, this is all really exciting stuff. And it's so I, – I, it really does blow my mind how hard you all work and how excited you are all still about this. So, um, you know, you hear about people who, like, work for the president who get burnout after a year and have to go <laughs> – you know, be with their family for the rest of their lives and that kind of thing. And it feels like it's the same amount of work, but we're talking about giants and, and <laughs> stuff like that. Uh, so I, I really, really appreciate all the work that you do. I know everybody who is ever on, who has anything to do with the Adventurers League, appreciates all of the work that you all do as well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Before we go, how about we talk about where people can find you uh, on the internet? And Robert, will start with you. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, Radu76 is my personal Twitter. Uh, you can also find me uh, doing the D&D Adventures League Twitter, which is DND underscore ADV League. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, you can just search for D&D Adventures League and uh, Google Plus. Of course, our website, um, dndadventuresleague.org. Uh, I am also on Facebook and Google Plus. Uh, I do Twitter. Uh, I do Twit. Um, uh, I'm at Travis Woodall, so I really kind of stretch the limits of my imagination there. <laughs> um, other That's than why that, he runs out of names so quickly. Exactly, I run out of names quick because I use them all on my Twitter. Um, <laughs> and then I'll be at PAX Prime, PAX West, whatever it's called now. Uh, September Carnage Con, November, and then Winter Fantasy, hopefully Origins next year. Uh, and other than that, walking around my neighborhood looking for Pokemans. Um, uh, yeah, therefore, my son, I'm just collecting him for him. Greg Marks, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook uh, as Greg Marks. You can find me on Twitter as Scarrett7H3Green. Uh, I'm sure you'll link that because it's regrettably painful. Uh, <laughs> you can also find me at Gen Con if you want to come uh, hang out and ask me some questions about D and D Adventures League. I'm going to be there the whole time. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I'm not DMing, I'm happy to talk to you. That's true. Or hit him up about the uh, the Book of Lairs. Uh, you got a shout mm-hmm. out in the interview yeah. with Wolfgang as well. So uh, I yeah. got some stuff in Tomo Beast, Book of Lairs, and some other upcoming 
uh, stuff that's coming up. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, we'll have to have you back on to talk about the uh, aforementioned cough. Uh, so that would be great as well. And of course, Claire Hoffman, new to the roundtable. Where can people go if they want to find you on the internet? Well, I'm on Facebook. It's Claire Hoffman, mm-hmm. and I'm on Twitter at Dragon View Claire. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the roundtable. It was a pleasure to have you. We've missed you the last couple of times we've done this. so uh, And hopefully you will all come back for season six so we can talk about it again. Sure thing. Sure thing. Okay, everybody. Now I am here with the one and only Wolfgang Bauer. Wolfgang, welcome back to the roundtable. It is always a pleasure to have you here. How are you? Oh, hey, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm glad to be here. Nice, nice. Well, you are here to talk about something very exciting. So you've talked about this first when the Kickstarter launched and then a few other times on the show when you came on for other things. But Tome of Beasts, it's here. It's yes, real. it's finally here. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's been so long. I can finally say, yeah, the books are shipping out to backers. We're going to have them at Gen Con. It's a huge, beautiful, full-color, 432-page book with, like, over 400 monsters. And and I am just going to babble on about it because I think it's great. <laughs> it's so overdue. I mean, the monster manual's terrific and all, but it's like if you're at all tired of the monster choices you have, this is just a huge smorgasbord of of beautiful new monsters that have been play tested, that are original, um, and that are going to freak out your players. So, <laughs> what's not to love? Oh, uh, you know, I am super excited for this because Fifth Edition's been out for you know two years now, and it's like, yeah, I've really, I've, I've got a high level game. Right, we've been playing for a while. They're up in the, in the upper echelons, and they're running out of creatures to meet at this point. You know, it's like, oh, yes. great, a, another dragon, oh, another beholder. You know, um, I'm super excited to have this because I feel like now is a great time to get to more than double the amount of monsters that you have in your game if all you have is the monster manual. Yeah, absolutely. And and this book, partly for that, that reason, that we knew it would be out at a time when a lot of people have long-running campaigns, um, it's got a horde of, like, challenge 10, 11, and up to 26, 27 uh, <laughs> monsters. So we've, we've really brought a lot of... Um, new challenges at the higher at the higher tier which you know fifth edition it's easy to say okay well i'm gonna use whatever 10 challenge six kind of monsters right mm-hmm. sure, um, sure. instead of instead of a 10 or a 12 but sometimes <laughs> it's nice to have the one big boss and so yeah we've got new dragons we've got new demon lords we've got new elemental creatures we've got uh Oh my goodness, we've got drakes and undead and golems in that range, and even a couple of dinosaurs in this book. Devils, Norse monsters, uh, Lovecraftian creatures like the Gug is a CR-12, all new things like the Herald of Blood that I wrote. Uh, it's <laughs> Yeah, the Herald of Blood. <laughs> it was just a little three-word phrase that i put into a stretch goal at one point right <laughs> and i said well you know it sounds badass what what is that thing gonna be 
And there are these 20-foot-tall giants with command of void magic and the outer darkness, and they have uh, (laughs) blood armor. They can grant blood rage to their allies. They can take on a humanoid form when they want, and they can dismiss that form, and they can melt stuff around them. So, I mean, (laughs) they have some pretty cool abilities, um, and they have legendary actions, right? So one of the nice things about these higher-level uh, creatures in Tome of Beasts is a bunch of them. Uh, they're they're frankly legendary, and they they come with those powers, right? The extra move, or the automatic save, or some sort of attack that that blows up everything in sight. <laughs> uh, the, well, the one for Herald of Blood, the one, the legendary action that is near and dear to my heart, and that will make players say what is is called the Majesty of Ragnarok. Um, <laughs> and it, it really is, hi, I'm here for the end times. You all die now. Um, <laughs> it really is. Um, you know, it's damage, it's exhaustion, it's permanent blinding. You know, if you're going to play at these levels, you need to have defensive spells. You need to know what you're up against. So yeah, massive spoilers on the Herald of Blood, people. Sorry. Wow. Uh, that's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these guys are fun. Uh, with dragons, of course, you know what you're getting. We've got, like, the Mithril Dragon preview um, went out a little while ago. Um, some of the giants are in this category of, man, if you're playing high levels, you're going to have a blast with these. And I think the giants are nicely timed, too, to to go along with uh, Storm King's Thunder. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right? There's a Jotun in there. There is a Jotun, which is... Perhaps a little on the higher level. It's a 22 challenge. Um, but, you know, there's like the Flab Giant is about a, I don't know, four or five, I forget. Um, and the Thursier are Rune Giants, right? They're challenge three. They're, they're, they're kind of like way cooler ogres. Because, um, you know, Giants and Rune Magic go together. Mm-hmm. So, um so the Thursir are are forge masters. They're kind of like if you had a dwarf who was just a dwarf who was too tall and too smart and always working with his rune magic and his forge hammer, making weapons for his bigger buddies. That's kind of him. He's one of the they're the forge masters to the the giants, so they'll all be ready for Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I think that's gonna fit in neatly with uh with the rune magic stuff that we recently released, um mm-hmm. and and with Storm King's Thunder. Um we've got a ton of undead. And one of the things I'm really proud of here for for Tomo Beast is we have twenty monsters written by backers, right? That's right. Um it's not just stuff written by um Chris Harris and Dan Dillon uh, and Rodrigo Garcia Carmona and myself. Um, we also have these 20 monsters by backers, and those are a nice selection too. Um, I mean, they're, they're sort of, we basically got 100 entries from backers. Wow. Here. These are our best monsters. Everybody who backed the project on Kickstarter had the opportunity to send in a monster <laughs> if they wanted, and 100 people took us up on it. And of those hundred, we took the top twenty, um, and you know, put them through extra ringer playtest, development, art, the whole thing, um, and they've turned out wonderfully. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think full. I don't know. Full disclosure. I think one of them is yours. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that the uh, 
take a little look at the corpse mound when you get your copy of that book, uh, and uh, and I will have the pleasure of helping kill your players. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a horrific necromantic uh, glob, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a uh, a huge pile of bodies. Yes, um, <laughs> and and it makes sense in a necromantic D&D kind of way. Mm-hmm. You've got all these bodies littering a battlefield. What's the nearby necromancer going to do to clean that mess up? Eh, make a corpse mound. Make it walk itself off the battlefield, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's efficiency, right? That's what yeah. it's Yeah. <laughs> it's totally horrible. Um, players are going to go, um, because they're going to say, it's not a horde of zombies. They're all stuck together. What is it? <laughs> the smell. What is the smell? Um, and I think it's like a challenge 10 or 11. It, it, of course, in development, some of them bumped up and down from what backers submitted based on what the playtest results were and what some of the numbers worked out to be. Um, but yeah, super creepy um, <laughs> and not a direction that necessarily somebody would have pursued. I don't know. I mean, some of these just come out of left field, right? Like there's a, the worm-hearted suffragan is Ooh. is a servant of our one of our new demon lords. Um, <laughs> and they're... They're servants of the demon lord of worms, and they basically infect and uh, animate uh, the bodies of the dead. They walk around battlefields taking the wounded and pretending to cure them, but of course, they're not curing them. They're infecting them. They're turning them into servants for the great lord of worms. so it's like, okay, that's extremely cool. Well, you know, let's do a monster that's just a servitor to one of the demon lords. Yeah. And there's there's others like this, right? Um, they're not all undead and, and demon-oriented, although we have our, a good chunk of that. Um, we also have a couple of things, uh, monsters that won design contests um, at Cobalt Press, because we do the Monarch of the Monsters contest about once a year. And one of the winners there... I'm sure it might have just been a finalist, was called The Living Wick, which is this little wax sculpture of a a human or a person. (laughs) And it's got this halo of light flickering around it because its head has this sort of, well, it's got a wick, right? It's like a giant animated golem candle. And they don't live long and they're they're useful servants, but they, you know, they burn off after a while, just like a giant candle would. They have one neat special ability, which is... (laughs) If they decide to, or if they are commanded to, rather, they they pretty much burn through the whole of their substance at once, and they go off like a fireball, right? Wow. Um, which is pretty cool for a challenge one quarter or challenge one half kind of creature. Um, it's a small fireball, but it's the whole room. Mm-hmm. And now picture to yourself the mad gnomish inventor who says, well, you know, I've gone all the trouble of making three or four living wicks for myself, and now these darned adventurers really on my case. I guess I'm going to have to blow up three or four of them until this problem is dealt with, right? <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a really fun strategic and tactical monster. It's kind of creepy. Um, it has lots of, of opportunities to set off other traps, um, and the art is awesome, too. So, I mean... Contest winners like that. Um, we have some monsters from the Southlands um, that got picked up. Uh, we have monsters from the Norse uh, and the, the sort of Arctic tradition. 
Yeah. That's great. It, that, and again, that's perfect. And, and you know, Norse-themed is sort of where Storm King Thunder seems like it's going. So it's sort of just in time to add all sorts of extra monsters to that and really surprise your players, which is great. Yeah. No, I mean, we've got Valkyries. We've got the Vaitir. They're the ancestral spirits, but the wrathful spirits who come out of the grave. Um, and they have a little innate spell casting, and they... They are protectors of the grave goods. So if you get a great treasure, the Vaitir may say, no, that's going right back to the grave mound. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and we've got stuff like the Nightgarm. Um, oh, man. We've got just a ton of, of Norse-derived pieces. It's true. And you've got tons of lower level monsters in here as well. I mean, I think it's safe to say a book with 400 monsters sort of covers the spread as far as uh, uh, variety oh, yeah. goes, definitely. But, um, you know, so in addition to those high-level monsters and those mid-level monsters you were talking about, you've also oh, yeah. got some really, really great low-level monsters for, you know, I, I tire of like, oh man, I'm, I'm starting the campaign. It's time for the same old kobold and the same old goblin, you know? There's even yep. different kobolds and goblins goblins so you can really surprise your players with those too I absolutely think absolutely we've got something like 50 monsters in the like challenge one half to challenge one rating so a lot in that really low range and they're wildly different right like the rat folk are in there uh the living wick i just mentioned um variant goblins like the dust goblins um variant elves like the shadow fae are in there um Drunken leprechauns called the Cluricon, uh, which I love. Ghosts, bone crabs, uh, clockwork creatures, the alehouse drake, which is still amuses me. Um, <laughs> the alehouse drake is sort of the the mascot dragon of your local inn, right? They live <laughs> they live for centuries, but they're mm -hmm. like the yeah they're like the team mascot. As long as they get their their ale and a scratch behind the ears, they're happy. But they hang out at the local tavern. They know everything. And unlike the local tavern dog, they can tell you things that they happen to have overheard while they were lying up there on the rafters. Um, so <laughs> they're not an enemy necessarily. They can certainly be an interesting character. And the moment anybody decides to start a bar brawl, of course, they want to get involved. <laughs> yeah, we've got new ghouls. We've got an automaton or two um we have some water creatures the raven folk are in that low level category and new cultists um, like scorpion cultists are in there <laughs> we have a whole section in here called the villain codex humanoid npc type monsters right nice um, nice and yeah some of it's just straightforward like but well, we have bandits in the monster manual but wouldn't it be nice to just have a pre-generated bandit lord um <laughs> well, here he is right so um we have uh, black knight we have um we have a bunch of cultists uh not just the scorpion cultists but we've also got the uh, uh what do you call them the emerald order oh who are, nice yeah they're sort of the esoteric wisdom types right they they think they know a lot more than you and maybe they do but um they're they're lawful and evil and spell casters and have sort of foresight incredible uh, a ton of spell casting frankly including stuff like the emerald order cult leader gets a flame strike um, <laughs> like 
hmm, yeah, all right, a cultist that isn't the standard cultist. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, you've been playing the regular one for a long time. Um, there's a corrupted ogre chieftain who's sort of, like, taken over by evil. Um, and there's a wolf reaver dwarf, which is, at least in the, the kobold press tradition, dwarves are... Well, they're not evil, but they sure are uh, (laughs) creepy. And they will raid your ass if they think, you know, we could just rustle some cattle here. These humans aren't using them. Look, they're wandering around a field unattended, right? (laughs) Or, um, and wolf reavers in particular are, huh, nice treasure you've got lying here. What a shame you didn't defend it with anything more than these dogs and those traps and this locked door. Clearly you don't care about it. We'll take it. Uh, so um so yeah a fun berserker dwarf um viking raider style um who could also just be an npc of course but we've got the villain codex um we've got a giant table putting everything in by challenge rating um we've got oh man it's just hard to know like i want to talk about every one of the 400 monsters individually (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, of course. they've all got something going for them uh, and some of them go way back in their history with Cobalt Press like the Lich Hound um, and a ton of them are brand new um, including the backer stuff and uh, uh, and some of the new undead new demon lords in particular yeah well I so- want to switch gears just for a little bit because along with the uh, Tome of Beasts, there is another book we should really talk about. Yeah, we totally should. Yeah, let's talk about the Book of Lairs uh, a little sure. bit. So does this yeah. use, does the Book of Lairs use creatures from the Tome of Beasts? Oh, absolutely, right? Um, it's it's very much a companion volume, and sometimes I feel like it's the, the overshadowed younger brother, younger sibling, right? Where Tome of Beasts, big, beautiful book, all these monsters. Well, Book of Lairs is... Hey, you want to take some of those monsters and just run with them? Great. Um, here's the Lost Halls of Everforge. You know, there's a bunch of standard monster manual creatures in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the way, there's a variant dragon in it. <laughs> um, and it does require the use of Tome of Beasts, right? You can't take Book of Lairs and just run with it. All right. There's a few scenarios that are all monster manual creatures, but most of them, you're going to need a copy of Tome of Beast to get the most out of it. Because um, we decided not to reprint all the stats, just for space reasons. Sure. Uh, so, you know, we assume that you own a monster manual, and we assume that you own a Tome of Beasts. Um, <laughs> and we, we spend our time saying, here's what's going on in this scenario. Now, the writing on these is great, and the playtesting was terrific, and it was edited by Kim Mohan. I mean, the game designers for this are people like, well, okay, me, but also <laughs> uh, also Steve Winter, uh, who's done fantastic work for many years, uh, Greg Marks, whose fingerprints are all over the Adventurers League. Mike Shea has a couple in here, so if you like Sly Flourish's writing and his locations and, and his write-ups for 5e, um, he's got some adventures yeah, in there. Great, great designer. Love him. He's a great designer. I was thrilled to get him on board for Book of Lairs. So he wrote a couple. And, um, in fact, uh, is that right? Lost Halls is his? No. Sean Merwin wrote Lost Halls. Of ah, another so great, great designer, yeah. Another great designer, right? <laughs> so, basically, the challenge with Book of Lairs was, well, we don't have room to 
write 20 full-length adventures, but we want 20, 25 adventures that all have um, a really solid map and uh, that are playable in pretty much an evening or two short sessions and, and that show off, you know, the new monsters in their natural environment. And, and people really jumped on it with wildly inventive stuff. Um, some classic sort of, hey, this is a, a dungeon crawl with a dragon at the end. Um, other things that are more like, here, climb these stairs up into low Earth orbit. Um, go meet the eldritch Cthuloid creatures at the top. That sort of thing. So they're, they run the gamut between standard meat and potatoes adventures and wilder flights of fancy um, that will that will be extremely memorable and that are uh, filled with um, new kinds of challenges. But it's a great way to just say, hey, I, I want to be ready for the next 15 or 20 weeks of gaming. Great, here you go. Um, and the <laughs> maps that come with it are, are available. They're, they're high-res uh, virtual tabletop maps, uh, gridded or ungridded. So if you play using Fantasy Grounds, or Roll20, or whatever your favorite virtual tabletop is, these maps are perfect for that. So for the maps alone, Book of Lairs is so worth it. Um, I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, And having having, uh, TSR and Wizards editor Kim Mohan sort of ride herd on all these and getting a full playtest on everything, yeah, these are solid. Nice. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it reminds me of, in 4th edition, one of the most praised books was this book called Dungeon Delve that Wizards put out. Yeah! Um, And this reminds me of that if every, uh, just because I got to playtest a couple of them as a backer, um, you know, the the things we playtested reminded me of that only much better fleshed out. Uh, layers and encounters and better story behind each layer and encounter. So it really is like a, you can drop them into any session and, and run with it. They're fully formed, great ideas on what to do, you know, how to get into it, where to go after, that kind of thing. I really love it. I think a Book of Layers I am just as excited for as Tome of Beasts. I know. And it's hard for me to describe. I know some people are way into the mega dungeon, right? Which is like, here's five years of adventuring that you'll never get through all of it. But from, <laughs> well, that's my knock on, you know, our friends at Frog God who make all the mega dungeons. But, mm-hmm. but it's true. I, I find it more useful and I'm more likely to pull something like Book of Lairs off the shelf because I know, hey, I just need to run these guys through this one set of encounters here mm-hmm. um, with this, you know, pirate cult um and then then we're going to go off to the rest of this nautical adventure or you know i've got this one temple encounter i want to put in the desert oh here's one and off we go they're just drop and go and and really tightly designed um to to maximize your playtime. right you don't want it to drag you don't want it to be like oh we're still in the same temple oh we're still fighting the pirate cult whatever um (laughs) So you can move pretty quickly between these and change it up every week. Oh, yeah. And it's so true. Having them for virtual tables ready to go is is big, too. Being able to drop that digital map in and, you know, throw down some uh, tokens and just go is is huge. As a guy who plays on Roll20 all the time, I cannot wait yeah. to get my hands on this. So Yes. Uh, very excited. I know. Uh, 
those maps um, alone are, are the price of admission, and then having a fully formed adventure with it, yay! Um, <laughs> I expect that to be a big hit. My my one concern is that people who who pick up Book of Lairs say, "Well, you know, only four of these things I can run straight out of the Monster Man. I need Toma Beast for the rest." And part of me <laughs> wants to say, "Yeah, you know, I guess we could have just made it using the monsters we already know." But part of me wants to say, yes, lucky you. You should pick up Tome of Beasts, you fool. It's full of 400 new monsters. Um, you know, and it is it is meant that they support each other. Um, and, and I just want to be clear to people about that, that um, it's a great set of plop them down adventures, but it's really, really meant to be used with Tome of Beasts to get the most out of it. Oh, totally. And I, I don't understand this. Why would you not want Tome of Beasts? <laughs> uh, well, so, you the know weird that... knock. Yeah, I know. It's like, why would you not want more monsters? <laughs> but every time there's a supplement that requires some other supplement, right, occasionally a fan will say, well, but I should, you know, they should all stand alone every time ever. And I'm like, have you read any of the, you know... <laughs> How familiar are you with Dungeons and Dragons and its plethora of supplements? <laughs> right, you need three books just to start playing. <laughs> right, so. right. So it's like, well, we're really we're we are twisting your arm a little to say yes, these things go together. On the other hand, oh my god, you're going to love Toma Beast. So Exactly. He'll thank us later. Exactly. Well, and it's not like you need both. To, you know, you could just get Tome of Beasts if you're yes. if you really only want to buy one thing, get the four hundred monsters. You know. Yeah. Um. So, but you can also. We should probably mention this. You can also get both of these in a digital form. Uh, yes. So you know, if if you don't have the money for the hardcover or something, and you're salvating listening to all of these different monsters and stuff, uh, go to koboldpress.com and uh, go buy the uh, the digital. Uh, uh, yeah, pick up the PDF versions. Um, save yourself some money. They're beautiful. The digital version of the tome, by the way, is is a ridiculously huge file. We had some <laughs> trouble getting the file size down to something that would work on most tablets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's only 110 megabytes at the moment. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and... To, to make it more useful, I mean, it's bookmarked the way everything is bookmarked, right, with nested um, bookmarks and all. But bookmarking isn't as efficient as the table of contents page in the PDF, which every monster entry there in the table of contents is hyperlinked to that page. Wow. So, like, page one of table of contents goes from A to I, and you <laughs> click on, you know, click on your favorite. Um, oh, let's click on Folk of Lang. Oh, look, it's taken me to Folk of Lang. And it's just a little faster and a little easier um, than using the bookmarking function. <laughs> and so we, so we linked all 400 monsters that way. And then at the end, you know, there's a, an appendix with all the monsters by challenge rating. And, oh, by the way, it's just a giant list of monsters. Oh, I'm really excited by this chained angel here in the... In the um, in the monster list, let me just click on that here in the challenge list. Oh, look, it takes me to that page. So we've, we've really tried to make it um, sort of indexed and hyper useful um, so that you don't spend a lot of time going flip, flip, flip through virtual pages either, right? Because that's, that's one of the downsides of a really big PDF is you spend a lot of time flipping back and forth. And, and we've made that a lot easier, uh, both from the contents and the challenge page. Um, the digital version of Book of Lairs, I should point out, comes with all the virtual tabletop maps. Um, <laughs> so you're getting 
you getting 20 high-res maps with uh, the Book of Lairs? Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, I put it up back when we had the Kickstarter as a, as a pledge reward to say, you know, maybe you don't play 5th edition. Maybe you just want these cool maps. <laughs> um, and some people took me up on it. They said, you know, 20 maps for whatever, 15 bucks? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm in. And, <laughs> um, and they're just getting the full set of maps to use with whatever system they want. Wow. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. We had a cartographer crew just working their butts off to get these these maps ready. And of course they're they're in all the formats you want, right? You can get them with a grid, without a grid, uh, with the numbers, without the numbers. Um and the Book of Lairs itself, of course, has the DM version of the map, which has all the numbers and all the traps and all the sort of additional uh, information on it so yeah it's been a long run to get to this point but wow have we got the goods here um if that's not quite enough um you know there's little additions to this like there's uh void magic uh supplement for new bad guy magic coming out uh, from kobold press because we have a number of monsters and coma beasts who well there's a void dragon right and Mm -hmm. uh, um the herald of blood is kind of in that category of worship of the void and darkness um and there's a couple others like the salang which are uh, how to describe them uh dark satyrs playing the mad pipes at the gates of insanity yeah (laughs) um yeah we've got sort of the void and darkness theme in i don't know maybe a dozen monsters maybe less in Tome of Beasts, so the Void Magic supplement for uh, for Deep Magic is is exactly what you think. It's dark and forbidden magic that uh, that works for NPCs or bad guy characters. Um, we've got a Rune Magic supplement that obviously works with the Thurseer and the Jotun um, and the Wolf Reaver Dwarves, all those Norse sort of things. Um, and the one group we haven't talked about yet is the Clockworks. We have a Clockwork Magic supplement that works perfectly with all the Clockwork creatures we've got in Tome of Beasts. Because it's <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those cases where it's like, well, D and D has a tradition of automatons, but in my opinion, it's not nearly enough. Let's go do like six or eight Clockwork creatures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so nice. Tome of Beasts really leans in this direction. Partly just because I think those creatures are cool and the Midgard campaign has, <laughs> you know, needs a certain number of those creatures. Um, and it's everything from a clockwork beetle to a clockwork hound and huntsman. Um, there's a clockwork watchman who sort of takes the place of the city guard. Um, <laughs> That's clockwork awesome. Watchmen, clockwork watchmen are a blast to play because they're always like, mm, tick, 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 move along, citizen, right? Um, it's like, oh God, are you really going to kick us off the street? Mm, curfews on, get off the street, right? And you can just be <laughs> annoying, um, clockwork creatures. And if you beat him up, what have you done? You have beaten up, uh, <laughs> a Robo-Cop. pile of, yeah, RoboCop, but like RoboCop's skinny weakling brother, right? <laughs> and, but the trouble is, at least my players know, right? Okay, so he's like a challenge one half watchman. Very lightly armored. He mostly has the force of law on his side, and he's trying to get you do the right thing um, and stop breaking into the mayor's house. But if you if you do something to him, chances are he's going to summon his bigger, 
batter brother, the Clockwork Myrmidon, who is like a challenge six, right? <laughs> so it's it's exactly like a real police force. Where it's like, well, Billy Bob, the local beat cop, is just going to tell you move along, boys. But if you if you give him any grief, you know, Billy Bob the beat cop is going to call down the SWAT team, and then what, right? <laughs> so. Uh, that's that's very specific to Midgard and my own campaign, but I think the Clockwork Watchman is a blast. He fits into any number of sort of places where you you want there to be a barrier, but you don't want it to be a really big barrier. Um, others like the Clockwork Hounds are kind of terrifying because they they pursue you and they never stop and they never sleep, and they're more Terminator like. Oh, and the Steam Golem, uh, I shouldn't talk about the Steam Golem. I'm not going to give that away. <laughs> Uh, well, I think if people want to find out about the Steam Golem, and even though we've talked about a lot of the monsters, there are still many, many others that yes. uh, that they could get their hands on. Um, where can people get their hands on this great book? Like, where should they go? What should they do? Uh, sure. There's a couple places, right, that they could buy uh, Tome of Beasts and Absolutely. Uh, Flares. Uh, well, I mean, the first and most obvious place is you go to coboldpress.com and you click on the link that says store, um, and Tome of Beasts and Book of Lairs, uh, and a set of pawns, cardboard pawns for these monsters, um, are all available at the, uh, at the Cobalt Press store. And, you know, we've got them in stock. We're shipping them out to, uh, depending on when this airs, we're shipping them out to backers or they've already all gone to backers. So that's your first and most obvious place. We've got the, the PDFs. Um, the maps, everything is there. Um, the other place you could go, uh, if you're, if you're not as into print and PDF, you could go to the fantasy ground site. This will have fantasy ground support. They're putting the final touches on it now. So a fantasy grounds version of Tome of Beasts exists and you can pick that up from them, from Smiteworks. I mean, um, you can also go to more traditional, uh, Internet retailers of various types. It's not being carried on Amazon. It is being carried at the Paizo store. They're helping us distribute it. Uh, it will be at the booth um, in at Gen Con. Um, so if you come to booth 2842, the Adventure a Week Games booth, which is also the Playground Adventures booth, 2842, way in the back of the hall. Um, is going to have copies of Tome of Beasts. And my prediction is we will have enough for Thursday and Friday. And if there are any left on Saturday, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't have a Cobalt Press booth of its own, right? So we have a partner helping us out and they're like, yeah, we're willing to bring some, but you realize this is our booth and we're mostly selling our stuff. Like, okay, we'll bring, we'll bring some, uh, and they will probably sell out, um, there. But if you're going to Gen Con, you can pick it up at 2842. And and then, of course, your local game stores. We've had a huge wave of orders coming in. People want this this book in at the local game shop. People want to support their local game shop, pick it up there. I'm all for that. That's certainly uh, a good way to go. I don't think it will be there the week of Gen Con. It'll be there mid-August, probably. Because, you know, it takes a little longer. It's got to go through distribution channels, get out to all the hobby stores. Of course, um, yeah. So you, you wait a little bit. You could buy yourself the PDF at cobaltpress.com and then get your print copy locally. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then, of course, you can get the, the PDF in other places. Like, uh, you can get it at Tabletop Library. You can get it at drive Through. But 
again, we're rolling it out to all the venues. Our first priority is get it out to all the backers because they're the first ones to support us. Our, our second priority is get out all the pre-orders we got um, to everyone who's pre-ordered through the Crowbell Press store. Uh, and then, you know, our final priority is get it out to everyone, period. Because <laughs> we we love this book. Uh, we've worked a couple years on it. And everything from the art to the development and design has worked out fantastically. And I'd like to thank all the playtesters in particular who uh, hammered on these creatures and wrote up great reports saying, hey, this worked great. Or, you know, this seemed like a good idea until it wiped my party in round two. Um, <laughs> and really, <laughs> I like your concept, but I think your execution needs work. You know, we got really good feedback on these monsters from uh, literally hundreds of playtesters. Um, and I think often that's the difference between a decent monster uh, or a slightly flawed monster and, oh my goodness, that encounter was so props to them for, for stepping up and, and playtesting like mad. Makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah, and it does. It, it means that the monsters that people get when they pick up the book are also these like quality, well-tested, the challenge rating actually meets what it says kind of yep. monsters, uh, which I yeah. think is fabulous. Yeah, and I mean, not every playtester agreed with everyone else, right? Sometimes it was, we thought this was a little too tough. And another group would say, oh, we thought it was right on. And like, okay. <laughs> group strength varies, right? Player strength varies. So it was great to have multiple takes on the same creature. Um, but yeah, we're, we've dialed it in pretty tightly um, for the vast majority of these. The, the big exception, I guess, I should warn people, <laughs> if it's challenge rating 22 and up, um, it's really hard to play test those. <laughs> and we did. Um, Mike Shea actually, I flourish ran a bunch of the devils, the arch devils, oh, nice. new devils that we had. Cause he ran his group through hell literally and needed, uh, like the Ouroboros devil, um, and some others. He needed high powered foes. And he was like, I'm running these, this, this, and this. So he ran a bunch of stuff at like, challenge 16 plus 20 plus and it was great feedback to have but once you're in that range of super high power my personal impression is your campaign becomes like unique and somewhat quirky and depending on your class mix and characters various magic items will really define their power level versus certain types of foes it becomes super hard to balance at that level because um really small variations attacks or defenses can have a huge impact on the battle and you know you're dealing with banishment all the time and uh, <laughs> those of you who play at this level know right exactly it's yeah, a the, little the more swingy is, uh, just keep throwing things at your players um, <laughs> see and what when they're a sort of red jelly like mass yes you've thrown enough um so yeah we uh we feel pretty good about the high-level creatures, but as always, that's where things get a little trickier. Uh, everything up to, like, Challenge 20 got some good playtests, but 22 and up, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and the danger zone. 
That's right. That's right. Well, Wolfgang, I mean, this sounds amazing. Uh, everything that's been coming out of Cobalt Press recently for 5th edition has been amazing. Deep Magic is coming out chapter by chapter. Uh, and now we have this great, huge lot of monsters dropped into our lap, along with some layers and things to run them through. Uh, so thank you so, so much for this. Uh, oh, so happy. I'm so happy this book is out, man. People are going to get to play it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to hear all the stories, um, and I'm gonna get to use a ton of these monsters in my own games and my own designs. So um, yeah, it's really a milestone for Cobalt Press. Um, a lot of people worked very hard to get us here, and I think people are gonna be thrilled to have the doubling of the existing monster base and just a ton of new opportunities and new options. Where can people find me on the internet? Um, well, you know, I spend a lot of time hanging out at Cobalt Press, but. Um, <laughs> But I'm also on Facebook. I've got, like, uh, a writer's page on Facebook, uh, regular page. And uh, I'm also at Monkey King on Twitter, which I love to death. Twitter is awesome. I will be um, sharing news there and talking about Gen Con and seminars and monsters and signings, what I'm writing, uh, games we're running. So uh, those are the easiest places to find me. Um, hey, if you're at Gen Con, come down to one of my seminars. I'll be talking about world building. Uh, I'll be talking about freelancing 101. Um, and then further down the line, I guess I'm going to Gamehole Con. So if you're going to be in Madison in November, love to, to meet some people at Gamehole Con and say hi. Say hi there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that does sound cool. So if you're going to be at either of those conventions, uh Go check out Wolfgang Bauer. Go meet him. He's a great person, uh, as you can tell from uh, all of his appearances here on the Tome Show and everything. Um, so go meet him. Tell him how much you love his work. And pick up the Tome of Beasts and the Book of Lairs. Wolfgang, thank you so much for being on the roundtable today. Hey, thanks for having me. I love it when a big, big project like this finally hits it in the spotlight. So... You know, it's hard to shut me up on days like this. <laughs> That's great. When you're excited, uh, that means the product is actually good. So Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it's hard to say just how much blood, sweat, and tears goes into a book this size. But let me assure you, <laughs> 432 full-color pages don't just happen. <laughs> Especially play-tested and run through the ringer and as tightly wound together as Book of Layers is. Um, all that sweetness, all that awesome... Uh, gameable material is because the Cobalt Press crew, not just me, but a ton of other people, um, the designers, the art directors, everyone really care about making the most awesome D&D supplements possible because um, we're going to use them in our games and we know we're going to be um, uh, talking about them for for years. So, yeah, check them out. We, uh, we're very proud of this work. Well, thank you so much, Wolfgang. Really, really appreciate you coming on today. All right, thanks. And before we go, every week we highlight a new product in our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's pick is the Pugilist class from Benjamin Huffman. It is a pay-what-you-want PDF for a new class. This new class has 22 ratings and four and a half stars. That means balanced awesomeness. With nothing but their wits, will, and fists, pugilists lay it all on the table every time they're in a scrape. 
Pugilists unbreakable of spirit and talent for fisticuffs don't come from rigorous training or high-minded philosophies, but are the hard-won trophies of never backing down from a fight no matter the odds. This is a great class. All the subclasses are fight clubs. Guys, you got to check it out. There's a direct link to the Pugilist class in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com. I also want to remind you to check out Rudy Basso and my's podcast, Have Spellbook Will Travel. It's a Dungeons and Dragons radio play that is based on the games we've played, but it's not an actual play podcast. It's a radio play. It's totally scripted. It's really fun. It's really funny. So go check that out as well. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world that I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. It's an any-nominated blog. I'm so excited. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there. I'm talking spells, creatures, magic items, variant rules, diseases, traps, you name it, we got it. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.